Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, man. Hey. hey How's it going? Back after a week's break. Yes, Apologies. although depending on the editing schedule, it might not even be that visible this break. Uh, back after no interruption <laughs> whatsoever. Because <laughs> if I edit it, you know, this weekend and then release it, then it will basically be a week after the previous one. So it might be okay. Okay. Anyway, but for peek behind the curtain, though. little peek behind the curtain, we've been we've taken a week out. Um, I had to. Well, we had to take a week out because Queer Eye dropped. Yeah, on last Friday, so I needed to watch all of that before I could f- see another film. Yeah, <laughs> I was just been watching cinema. and rewatching the entirety of the second series of Queer Eye. Actually, just... that's not true. I've only seen two episodes of it. I've seen them all. No, I've seen most of them. How, how do you, how are you feeling like it, like it shapes up to series one in your estimation? I'd say it's pretty much exactly the same. I heard that they filmed them kind of back to back, or that they sort of did it in the same chunk of time. All right, which makes a certain amount of sense because it's come out so soon. Yeah. After the first one. And also, like, they look exactly the same. Like, there's been no change in, you know, haircuts in any of them. Yeah, that's true. It's like, uh, yeah, I'd say it's at, on a par with the first series. There's a few more interesting stories. They they queer eye a, a trans uh, man, uh, formerly a woman. Right, yeah. Trans man. Trans man. Yeah. What's quite good about the episode is that they kind of address the fact that people just assume they know about like trans rights because they're gay like the lgbtq <laughs> community is yeah like, they, they can tell from the acronym that uh yeah yeah and uh i mean i saw some like uh, tan the fashion guy um is quite like uh, open about his own ignorance about it and i think he got it got a bit of flack on like twitter for like how ignorant he was but it was quite refreshing like and whatever show do you have this gay guy talking to a trans guy yeah so what was it what was he saying how did he put his foot in it Oh no! Well, he just basically said he just never understood, like the, deal. the the mindset of like having that much surgery, and then you know just he'd never really spoken to a trans person before, right? Yeah, and uh, it opened his eye. Well, like you know, everyone has their eyes open in that show, right? Every episode sure. has to like end with like a massive revelation. Yeah, there's a but lot of was, there's a lot of growth. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting thing where like they spoke to this, they got him like this suit from this company that specialized in making suits for the trans community and like oh, cool. cut them a different way so because the shape of your hips and the shoulders to, to, to mimic a more like masculine physique or hmm. whatever you want i was like i've never seen this but this is kind of interesting yeah that sounds cool so that was a pretty good one i mean a lot of it is about schlubby guys who just like eat potato chips the whole time they're like yeah yeah maybe just wear something other than a t-shirt wear a shirt Come well on. the second one the second one felt the second episode of the two that i've seen was the sort of schlubby uh, film nerd guy. Yeah. And that felt like they were kind of coasting, for that one, to be honest. 
right. it's like it's so obvious what you do it's this guy who looks perfectly fine except like he just dresses like shit in his hair and beard are much too long so yeah. they just come in and basically just tidy him up and make him look not look like total garbage anymore and he's like wow i'm so transformed and anthony teaches him how to roast a cauliflower or something yeah, there's this very bizarre thing in that one. I mean, he continues to be almost comically ina- <laughs> unable to like cook or do anything useful for anybody. But damn it, he's pretty. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so in that episode, they're like um, him and his girlfriend, who he's going to propose to. Uh, they go for a picnic, th- like outdoor cinema screening thing. Yeah. And the preparations, like I guess Anthony is in charge of the food for the picnic, and what he does is like he takes him to a fancy like place where they sell cheese and stuff and he's like i love this cheese it's this is my favorite cheese you should put it in a basket or whatever so he learns about he learns that this this place is available where they sell the cheese and then he gets him to roast some cauliflower which consists of putting oil and cauliflower and putting in the oven uh and then like puts little bits of the roasted cauliflower in a uh takeaway like noodle uh thing and so was that it? Like we don't see any more food. It's like that, that that's their picnic, like tiny bits of cauliflower and cheese. Like what else is going on in there? Yeah, yeah. There's that's one later weird. on where they they queer eyed this guy who's a mayor. Like he's this like thirty year old guy, but he's like this young mayor and he's gotta like, you know, look more official. Yeah. So not taken seriously. And he's holding like a dinner party for some delegates and and he's like, have you maybe make this like peach like starter or something? And then like they see a bit of like the evening and like the dinner that him and his uh, girlfriend prepared is like much more elaborate than anything Anthony could ever do. <laughs> it's like <laughs> teaching your grandma to suck eggs here. It's like these guys know how to fucking cook. Well, in the very first episode of this season, it's this woman who who is like he literally says to her like, um, normally I teach people how to cook, but actually you can teach me how to yeah, cook. Yeah. So. I thought that was like the end point of it. If anyone has the slightest bit of competency in the kitchen, he is unable. <laughs> to do anything for them but but he's very attractive yeah and he's kind of seems like a nice enough guy you know fair yeah. play to him he he's was crying just, a lot in that first episode he was that episode was really laying it on very thick i'm gonna watch a version of that episode where there's a kind of hug counter in the corner yeah because yeah. i felt like every scene had about 11 hugs in it it was yeah, just yeah. crazy they were sort of queering this woman but she kind of turned the tables on them and teaches them all to learn and grow because she's got great emotional maturity yeah she already had her shit very together to be honest that's what that like i did kind of like that actually that it's not that the show does not only follow this uh formula of like losers who just like you know don't know how yeah, to yeah, shave yeah. or whatever um but that it's more like you know that the sort of aims of the show are a bit broader than that and yeah, that everyone is a little self-care every once in a while yeah like... or just like yeah exactly it's just a kind of support network that turns up and films an episode of television but you know also builds your church or community hall at the same time it just felt like quite a cool use of the budget of the show. Yeah. They just turn up and they do this like nice thing for a local community and boost the reputation of gay people at the same time, seem to be. And her speech at the end of that episode to the sort of skeptical um, congregation about like, um, like loving people no matter what their sexual orientation is was quite good. Like, she's a good speaker and yeah, yeah. I was very impressed. It gave her own Netflix show where she just goes and just... Just spreads general good just sort of like spreads good her Yeah, in the beginning of that, when they're like, she's like introduced herself as like Mama Tammy or something, and then Tanner's like, oh, what should I call you? And she's like, oh, just call me Mama. And I thought that was a kind of like throwaway thing, but then it cuts to a sort of VT of him talking to Cameron. He's like, well, Mama was doing this. Like, <laughs> okay, so she is now. That is, she is your mother now. Just, well, you got it. I will now forever refer to you as Mama <laughs> whenever I talk like in any other company. She's great. She should replace Anthony. She could do the cooking. Absolutely. She fucking was teaching him how to do it. Yeah, she, yeah. she, They should then do another episode where they go to his house. 
You think Anson needs to be queer-eyed before he can be part of the queer-eyed team? Yeah, he needs to be queer-eyed. I think Tan needs to have his hair taken down a bit. I agree. No, that hair needs to be taken to be down a notch. Taken down a notch. Someone needs to do something about that hair. It's uppity. Because he's, he's always talking about how if you dress a certain way, it brings attention to your body and you want to, like, you know, make yourself seem taller or, you know, emphasize certain parts of your physique. Yeah. But his hair is making his, like, his nose it, it make, is quite big. It makes him look like he's his head long. is, like, 80% hair. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's lengthening his entire face. <laughs> it's like, you're not following your own advice here, Tan. Like, yeah, the, the hair is getting a bit out of control. Get Jonathan, the best one. Jonathan and Bobby could probably run the entire show themselves. They should really. do an episode where they do each other. Yeah. Karamo drives them all around in the car and uh, talks to them about their family or whatever. And uh, Jonathan makes them all like, and then he puts like some mayonnaise on an avocado and <laughs> gives that to them. And Jonathan gives them all a haircut. Yeah, yeah. Did I say Anthony, you know? So, yeah. Um, Anthony buys them like some chips for something. <laughs> yeah. This is my favorite chip shop. They yeah, do incredible chips. It's, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe they should do that. Just an idea for the Just Netflix idea. show producers there. Um, anyway, Sam, I mean, we've been talking about this TV show for a long time, but what is this podcast <laughs> about? I've forgotten. <laughs> well, let me uh, explain to you what it's about, Danny. This is a podcast all about Danny Moran the second an extremely cool detective who is the nephew of another very cool detective uh, with exactly the same name. He's called in to investigate the racially motivated murder of a man named Trey Howard, which has been committed by Sam Foster Jr., the son of a wealthy real estate tycoon. Ooh. 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 Boo. Uh, Moran finds an eyewitness, but she disappears soon after, and Foster is released on bail and flees to Switzerland. Two years pass after which Foster returns from Switzerland and is promptly rearrested by Moran. No flies on him. At police headquarters, Foster meets a Dominican drug lord called Peoples Hernandez and is then released on bail yet again. Moran is disgusted to see him once again released on bail and resigns from the police force, promising to bring Foster to justice on his own terms. Foster, meanwhile, decides to tie up loose ends and goes after the missing eyewitness with the help of Peoples Hernandez. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2000, uh, 2000 film Shaft, <laughs> starring Samuel L. Jackson, a sequel to the popular Shaft series. Instead, this is just a podcast in which we talk about films and whatnot. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, the cool dick who fucks all the chicks, uh, Danny, <laughs> Danny Moran. That's me. Very accurate description of me. What I do... Uh, on this episode of Film Chats, I will be reviewing the scary movie everyone's talking about, Ocean's 8, in which eight women do a crime, which is something men usually do, and I find this flagrant F you to the status quo, tense, uncomfortable, and at times, blood-chillingly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then we both review Hereditary, this year's most talked about horror movie, which manages to squeeze scares out of the most unlikeliest of materials, such as creepy kids, creepy drawings, creepy dolls, creepy animals, creepy psychics. I would describe the film as good. Really creepy. <laughs> we discuss news about a recently announced sequel to The Shining and look at the fresh details about the increasingly shambolic life of Johnny Depp, all of which should give me just enough time to table my latest campaign entitled Remake The Color of Money. This is a campaign to provide touchstone pitches an opportunity to course correct with the Hustler franchise. The fans are completely divided, and the core goal of the Hustler saga has been abandoned. The goal is not to make one half of the fandom happy over the other, it's to make a film that the fandom in general as a whole enjoys. 
the hero's archetype of the original film was what made it so great. It made characters that everyone could relate to regardless of their backgrounds and beliefs. No longer having this core element along with poor storytelling has made the franchise divisive and in disarray. And if I can speak from the heart briefly, the way so-called director Martin Scorsese decimated the generation-defining hero that was Fast Eddie Felsen is nothing short of a cinematic hate crime. Join the rebellion now. www.remakethecutofmoney.com <laughs> Well, sign me up. I'm very upset about it. I, I, I know just because this film exists. <laughs> it's fair, it's been out for like 35 years. <laughs> Fucking pissed. Yeah, probably is do a remake. Yeah, why not? Social media engagement time now. So about three years ago, before the release <laughs> of uh, The Force Awakens, I made what I would describe as a viral video essay. Yes. Talking about how J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek movie was in fact a thinly disguised remake of A New Hope. You can watch it on YouTube. It's got literally tens of views. And three weeks ago, we got a comment on it from a gentleman called Nicholas White. He says... Star Wars is a flat ripoff of June, except less intelligent and far more vapid. George Lucas dose not despite this. Was that it? That's it. Oh, I was hoping he'd get more into the details of why June is like Star Wars. Uh, but or George why Star Lucas Wars do- like June. dose not despite this. <laughs> what is that intended to say? Does not dispute this? Right. Okay, got I'm you. I'm guess. Yeah. Va- vapid? Vapid? So that's good, isn't it? I have not um, seen the movie or read the Frank Herbert book, but that could be true. I've read the book. Is it like Star Wars? Um, there's a it's a sort of desert planet that features in it. Um, it's kind of about like a guy who uh, becomes a sort of messiah figure. I guess it's kind of I don't know. I don't think it's that similar. I have it's, to think about always it. Always the thing where like you know, Star Wars was just damn busters mixed with a western. It's like you know, it borrows from so many sources. It's his own thing. Everyone's always trying to you know. It's like the Beatles just ripped off this, all these blues songs. It's like no, it didn't. You know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't. It's just the way culture evolves. It's yeah, builds on the past. I'm trying. I'm. I'm thinking it over, and I don't think it's like t- terribly similar. But maybe this guy, if this guy makes his own video essay, I will watch it. But thank you, Nicholas White. We always love to hear from people. Do you think this guy watched our video, or 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 did he just does he just write that against on all videos that are about Star Wars? Clear. I should have done a bit of research on this. Maybe like... can you can you can you reply to him and be like, did you watch the video? Did you watch the video, mate? What did you think of the actual video, mate? I'm not, I don't want other comments. I want it specifically about. You've got a comment on the video, like the content of the video. Yeah, I spent ages making that. Well, not ages. Do McQueen help me? It's got the original. Uh, theatrical version of the edits like all the footage from the new hope is from like the despecialized edition yeah no fucking about no fucking about with that with that sort of 90s one yeah exactly what's you know mr nerd writer's got nothing on me (laughs) film essays or that guy's called nerd writer one i don't know he's a popular film video essay man yeah yeah i don't wish i had his numbers the good one about um a serious man did he? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I might have to check that one out. I don't like the sound of him. Nerd writer. Doesn't sound cool. Not like the people I like to watch on YouTube. I like the dude writer. I like cool guy. <laughs> cool writer. Our friend Georgia Mills 
has sent us a message with some content for us, which is very kind of her. She um, drew our attention towards news that the S-Town true crime podcast is going to be adapted into a movie. Stown? Stown. <laughs> the Stown podcast uh, is going to be adapted into a film by the uh, director of Spotlight, Todd... Mac- you mean the director of The Cobbler? Todd McCarthy. Todd McCarthy. Yeah, the director of The Cobbler and <laughs> Oscar-winning Spotlight and the mysteriously non-Oscar-winning uh, The Cobbler. Starring the greatest one punch in film history, you mean? Yeah, exactly. They are. That is an incredible double bill, and I recommend that to anyone. Uh, yeah, he's going to do an adaptation of Stown, the, the one-known podcast. <laughs> and Georgia says uh, she's got a series of questions for us. First podcast to film adaptation? Which podcasts should be films? If Film Chat became a film, who would star? Wow, this is a lot of content. So first of all, going going in the order here, first podcast of film adaptation? Danny, can you comment? No. <laughs> what, I do remember... Was, has there been another podcast? That, um, the Kevin Smith movie Tusk. Yes. Um, where the guy got turned into a walrus. I can't, don't know why that film didn't <laughs> set the world alight. But I think because he... Like basically, he's like a podcaster first and a filmmaker second now. Kevin Smith, like he, it was based on like a news story or like on a like a weird ad. So yeah. said like you know, come and be my walrus or something as like a joke. That's probably I don't know what the actual ad said. Yeah, but I think he discussed it on his show and like while he was dis- discussing it, they're like, oh, what if this was a movie? And it did actually end he, up. Then he made it into a movie. So you can listen to him, like the light bulb going off. I oh, say right. light bulb, tiny little LED light. Of, <laughs> the man. flickering LED. So does that count? Yeah. Sure. That's that's good. That's like a good little trivia qu- kind of question, isn't it? But I guess like, because um, there's al- always like um, news stories about films based on articles or whatever. So I'm sure that's just become films based on something someone heard on This American Life or something. Yeah. You know, the way people just get their news is more podcast based so i'm i'm sure there must be another thing where a writer heard it on a podcast first and was like i shall make the movie version that's yeah that does seem quite possible um which podcast should be films what podcast that you listen to would you turn into a movie uh, what's that david mitchell one where he's always lying and or whatever like the unbelievable truth it's not a podcast <laughs> it's just a radio four panel show I listen to it in podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I list. I download the podcast version with extra uh, Mitchell rants. Um, hey, by the way, can I just briefly complain about David Mitchell? Sure, please. He's just like I, I read it. Like his most recent comment in the Guardian, he's just a complete parody of himself now. It's just incomprehensible. Nothing. <laughs> it was like this whole thing about how like um, there was a trend about complaining about green bathrooms, and he was like, "Green is is just one of the main colours." What's wrong with it being the colour of your bathroom? It's just one of the most normal colours for things to be in. But people are saying that bathrooms shouldn't be green. I'm just like, what's going on with you? You know, the, wor- the world is collapsing. We've, global warming is destroying everything. We've got this maniac in the, in the White House. We can't, there's no time for this. I like, just... oh, you buy your eggs and they're not all the same shape. I hate it. It's just like, it's just complete gibberish. If you've got to, like... He's really scraping the barrel of like yeah, these yeah. kind of mundane complaints about the details of everyday life. Like you got to find new, you know. Larry David spun eight series of Curb Enthusiasm yeah, over yeah, this yeah. shit, and now you're already running down to like 
why do people hate on green bathrooms? Come on now. That's ridiculous. In his autobiography, there's a whole chapter about how he had like a terrible time at like Angus Steakhouse. It's like, is your life so empty? <laughs> you have to have like an extra chapter about... It's supposed to be relatable. The whole premise of these like annoying little mundane moans is that they've got to be relatable, you know? And yours are not my friend. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, podcast, you know what actually is my favorite podcast at the moment is the All Killer No Filler podcast. Yes, Kerry Pritchard McLean and Rachel Fairburn just discussing serial killers. But I would like to see them as the main characters solving a serial killer crime, just like their knowledge of serial killers in the past, and then just and they'd have these great bants. So it's not like a straight adaptation of the podcast, but it's to... more like the characters in the movie are two two like women who are super into serial killers and then they encounter a real serial killer yeah and they solve it but just by you know just with just with the wits of the the sheer the, will and the, the sheer will and wits <laughs> of, of what they have you know they got their wit the wit and the will to uh to, to solve the murders what about what about you um well i've been listening to some serious nerd fucking podcasts lately where like role-playing like podcasts where they play you know dungeons and dragons and gaming you know they they pretend to be wizards and whatnot yeah yeah um so but those are all quite narrative i don't know if it would really work in a as a movie though because then you would take away the the thing which is the point of it which is this kind of spontaneous collaborative you know storytelling people hanging out to be a live film I, i would say that the like part of the big appeal of podcasts or like a lot of them is that kind of hangout atmosphere yeah yeah absolutely you know i would say that perhaps our own podcast is is trying to be ridiculous <laughs> capture that same thing and um and so when you adapt them into movies then you obviously lose that so it makes more sense to adapt like basically what is an article of journalism like s town yeah yeah since that is a common thing that they turn into movies anyway rather than um yeah things like that so I don't know if the if the sort of wizards and goblins would necessarily translate <laughs> into a great movie since it removes the whole like process of the creation of that story. I don't know. They sound pretty interesting. Wizards and goblins, you say? Yeah, wizards and goblins and, you know, all the other Tiger elements. Bears, that you... okay. <laughs> oh my. Goblins, ghouls, a zombie with no conscience. Um, <laughs> what do these things all have Godzilla, in common? King Kong, they, they've, they've been on a podcast that I've listened to recently. What was the third question? The third question, if Film Chat became a film, who would star? We would star as ourselves, Georgia. Well, either that or Ryan Gosling. Cause I'd play myself, you'd be played by Ryan Gosling. Yeah, because of the uncanny physical resemblance. It would be like The Big Sick, um, in which Kumail Nanjiani oh, plays God. himself, but um, Zoe Kazan <laughs> plays uh, his wife. Yeah, exactly. But I, So I'd be the Kumail Nanjiani, I'd, I'd just play myself yeah, as a great actor. As, as, the, as a flawless man. As a flawless <laughs> man who's perfect in every way. Uh, yeah, I I did, but he, we'd replace you. You'd be played by Danny DeVito. Yeah, sure. He's he's, he's very cool charming. Guy. Isn't he? He's a cool guy. He's a work bay. Yeah, and you look a lot like him. Yeah, it's true. A little taller. Who actually? Who would you like to be? Like, if you were, if there was going to be a film chat movie, and you were going to be played by an actor, but the only stipulation is that they look absolutely nothing like you. Yeah. Uh, who would you? Who would you pick? Um, I'd like to see you played by Larry David. Maybe pretty good i kind of dress like him occasionally mm. when i'm wearing my sort of like my blue blazer with the soft the soft shoulder the soft shoulder and the sort of like gray jumper i feel like i was just sort of yeah yeah larry david look what do you wear like chinos as well Nah, i don't have any chinos i queer eyes made me really rethink my wardrobe i was like i'll get some more tightly fitting jeans and stuff i gotta, these I gotta people. get some printed shirts and stuff I'm just yeah. like a fucking bum yeah i want to get some of those shirts with little prints on them there was that like, guy who was wearing like a I think the film the film critic guy. Yeah. 
they had him wearing a shirt with like little pineapples on it. I was yeah. like, that looks cool. Man, I gotta get one of those. I gotta get myself a shirt with pineapples on it. Yeah, sure. I'll give Larry David for me. Why okay, not? me and Larry. Me and you and Larry. And who do you want to play you? Um, Tavia Spencer. <laughs> sure. What? Like just so she doesn't have to play a maid. Are you, have you seen the trailer for Widows? The Steve yeah. McQueen movie? Yeah. I think it looks great. Yeah, it looks awesome. It looks like a ton of fun. I think my favorite thing about it is just like uh, Daniel Kaluuya just hanging by the graveyard and just like, just like the coolest fucking guy in the world. Like him and the guy, I don't know the actor's name, but he's the main guy in Atlanta as well. It's like these two like oh, right, right. shady dudes. And it's like, just bring me the two coolest black actors working today. And it's like, hey. Yeah, that movie looks like a lot of fun. Looking forward to that one. A bit of an unsequitur. Get the cast of Widows in for the film chat film. <laughs> Hope that answers your questions, Georgia. What film do you want to see adapted from a podcast? Perhaps the new scientist film? But is there anyone beautiful and intelligent enough to play Georgia Mills? <laughs> she doesn't You're thinking of the naked scientists. That's what I say. You said new scientists. That's oh, magazine. sorry. Come on now. Naked scientist? Just cut that back in. Naked scientist? Okay, I'll drop, <laughs> I'll drop the seamlessly just drop that isolated term in. Yeah. No woman exists. Thanks, Georgia. Would you rather be a podcast adapted from a film or a film adapted from a podcast? Right in and let us know. Right in and let us know. <laughs> Reminds me of when I was on an art trip and Mr. Plummer's daughter kept on saying, would you rather be bear cold or a cold bear? <laughs> like, would you rather be like bear hungry or hungry bear? It's like in both situations I'm hungry. <laughs> what you're asking me is like, do I want to be a bear over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that changes. Yeah. Oh, would you rather be bear bored or a bored bear? <laughs> so inane. That's good. Didn't she later, later go on to star in The Young Apprentice? Yeah. I remember this episode where she says, like, both my parents are artists. They have to, like, sell art or something. And we're like, it's not an artist. An artist is it's he? an art teacher. Yeah. That's not the same. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print What's the most successful horror movie of all time? The Shining Why we had a sequel yet? It was begging for a sequel <laughs> The end Sequel bait ending if ever I saw one didn't it? Didn't it come up saying the end, and then a question mark appeared <laughs> yeah, after it? Yeah, and like a cackle from Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, but there is a sequel in book form, which was published in 2013, called Doctor Sleep, which followed the life of Danny Torrance, all grown up and obviously a bit messed up, given that his dad tried to kill him when he was ten or whatever. Yeah, and he already was a bit weird, wasn't he? He was already I mean, to a be bit fair. Weird. He had the had the Shining, didn't he? He had the Shining, um, and. Apparently, they're going to make a film version of it. It's going to be directed by a man called Mike Flanagan, and it's going to star Ewan McGregor as Danny Torrance. Apparently, I mean, without giving spoilers away, but the book details Danny's all grown up, and he's showing signs of developing his father's sort of violent moods and drinking problem, as well as supernatural going-ons are happening. Classic Torrance thing, isn't it? You've got a drinking problem, and you're a bit messed up, and then bloody supernatural stuff happens. (laughs) Ugh, can't catch a break. And the bulk of the plot apparently focuses on Danny working at a uh, local hospice and trying to use his supernatural powers for good. And he forms a bond with a young girl. Like he was the young boy. Oh, I love it. It's like poetry, isn't it? It's like poetry. It rhymes. Um, he forms a bond with a young girl, but she is being targeted 
by some supernatural beings could be good or bad. So he is Dr. Sleep. So he is Dr. Sleep, I guess so. But I think it's a very hard kind of pitch because it's based on a book sequel and the Shining film is very different to the book. And I think, Do you know what the, what the key differences are? Like, does it end really differently? Or I think uh, it ends like the hotel burns down is one difference from the book to the film. But I think the book, basically the focus is more about his alcoholism and it's all about becoming your father. It's like he goes to the hotel to get away from, you know, the ghost of his past, but ghosts from the past show up. Um, <laughs> and so like, but the Kubrick movie doesn't really focus on that as much. Yeah. Like there's, I've seen the director's cut because he released it and he cut like 10 minutes out of it. And that focuses more on, there's a scene where Wendy talks about, how Jack broke Danny's arm by accident when he was drunk. And so there's a bit more about his alcoholism, but the movie is, I don't know, the movie is... It's not not that interested yeah, in that I mean, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I'd be interested to see, it's, you know... Well, it's, that does sound like it's quite built into the premise for the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... But I don't know, it doesn't, like, it kind of seems like it could uh, manage okay. And I guess maybe because it's sort of maybe a sequel to a Kubrick movie... No one's expecting you to reach the heights of that, so maybe it's a bit freeing. It's like it's never going to be. Well, do you think it's, it's going to so, be so like singular. full of like references? You know, uh, to like the overlook oh, and God, you that, know, little like suck. winks and nods. You know, like everyone wants to see. Yeah, the it's room two three seven in the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Yeah, I don't know. What do you someone's think? like he's going to be like overworked in the hospital, and someone's like, <laughs> "You're spending too much time in here." You know, all work and no play. That's not good for you. Oh, you are one dull boy, Dr. Sleep. <laughs> um, Maybe there's a bit where he's having some, um, like, a boiled egg, and he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in, and he, like, bashes it. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts. <laughs> wow, he's really a lot like his father. Yeah. <laughs> you seen that like fake video essay about The Shining where it's like, Danny writes the word red rum, an anagram of Mr. Rude. <laughs> a reference to how rude Jack becomes later in the film. He's certainly being Mr. Rude now. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but that sounds pretty funny. It's very good. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like Ewan McGregor. He seems to be, he works a lot. Does it, is this sort of treading on the sacred toes of Kubrick for you? Or are you a bit like, whatever, make a sequel? Well, not the really. The book exists, it's, you know? Yeah, it's not, if it was a, just a sequel to the movie... Yeah, it seem completely like completely random. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, random, but why not? I mean, Stephen King hates the movie. Maybe he'll love. Maybe Doctor Sleep will be the film he wished The Shining was. Hmm. I know he made that TV miniseries he directed, but I don't think he thinks that's particularly good either. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is hard man to please. This is a hard man to please. Yeah. Yeah, I just hope that when they make the Ready Player One sequel, they find room for uh, long Doctor Sleep based <laughs> sequence in it. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) Keep up the trend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-clenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Ocean's 8. I saw this with my sister the other day. I was like, you're a girl. You'd love this movie with girls in it. So do you have like categories of films that you see? Because I know that you go to a lot of period costume type stuff with your uh, mom where yeah. everyone's always like, oh no, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but what about like with your sister? Is this like, what you would you describe as a sister's kind of movie? Yeah, I, I really target very gendered demographic films for the, for the, the, for the, your... the ages and Yeah, because uh, you, never see, the, you never see these movies with me. Yeah, you didn't see Girls Trip with me. That's true. Yeah, you're always taking me to see the fucking soldier films about men, do, you know, fighting each other. Yeah, I'm taking you to the soldier <laughs> films, aren't I, all the time? Play <laughs> soldier films and the the cop films, you know, all the men, the men stuff. You know what? This has been a wake up call. I'm gonna change. That we saw future. Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom together. It's like the manliest film ever. That's true. I thought you could be able to relate to it, you know. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Ocean's Eight is a uh, sequel to the Oceans franchise or a reboot. I don't know what exactly what to call it. Just the way you make films now is by... You just find some branding. Exactly. And the plot is that Sandra Bullock plays Debbie Ocean, the sister of Danny Ocean, the George Clooney character. And it starts very much like Oceans 11 does with her coming out of prison. And she's trying to tell the parole officer that she's going to go straight. And would you know it? She doesn't. She doesn't. And then she quickly assembles a team of seven other women with great crime skills to pull off a robbery where they want to steal a very expensive necklace from Anne Hathaway, playing a sort of bitchy actress, and she's going to wear this fancy diamond necklace at the Met Gala, and they're going to steal it off her at the gala, and heisty hijinks ensue. Great. Great. So I would say I was like kind of looking forward to the movie in that it was a blockbuster without explosions and i like the idea of an all-female reboot and i like all the actors in the cast and the movie probably didn't have to do much to win me over uh like if it was like a three-star middling film it would have been fine but it's really underwhelming and uh it's kind of like remarkable on how they fucked it up it feels like it feels it, like it's such it it's like an a open slam goal. dunk yeah and like what went wrong um I would say, like, as all the reviews have pointed out, the cast is really good, but they are working with, like, next to nothing. The script is terrible, and it just makes evident how charismatic they are that, like, you feel like if they had, like, a semblance of a script, they could really make it sing. But they're struggling to just get, just make any of it work. And they're not really characters. They're kind of all playing themselves effectively because there's so little on the page. Um, and it, is a very kind of weightless movie it's very much in movie land where the stakes are very very low like there's none of the sort of setting up the heist and things go wrong and tables are turned it's all like kind of breezy to the point that it's yeah nothing there nothing there um there are but there are like things to enjoy about it like the cast are good i really liked aquafina who i wasn't familiar with before the movie now I'm a big fan of. I really like her funny raps, and she, uh, and she, along with Rihanna, is the most naturally kind of cool person in the cast, and uh, they sort of their charisma kind of fits this type of movie. And on the other side, I think Sandra Bullock is kind of terrible in it. 
I think it's the worst I've ever seen her in a film. And it's not that... I mean, I like Sandra Bullock fine, but it, she's kind of miscast because she spends the entire movie smirking. And it kind of highlights that with all these Oceans movies, there are all these characters, or like the you know the Brad Pitt and the Jules Clooney characters are these sort of supremely confident, ultra-swish guys. And I feel like 99 out of 100 actors, that's just annoying. Yeah. And it's not a case of acting a bit. It's just a, a case of like certain charisma you know it's a shit character to begin with but i just think she's miscast especially next to Kate Blanchett, who's much more like commanding presence and she's like the brad pitt role it's like why isn't she in charge of the crew she seems like more than actually <laughs> yeah and it is very pacey and quite zippy just because the natural shape of heist movies means you have to like move quite quickly and there's like all the classic things we've got to get the team together so there's everyone has like a little scene setting them up and then there's a series of like mini missions before the main one. Uh, but like I was saying, it does has, has really low stakes. So none of that stuff really lands. And also, I think part of the problem is that it doesn't have a villain. Like in the Oceans movie, there was the sort of Adam Gus... Andy. Andy Garcia character, and then like Al Pacino, who was less good. But it gave it a bit of something that's like an antagonist, like fucking up their plans. Whereas this, it's like... The only thing that can go wrong is like dumb luck. I don't know. It just didn't quite land... And I think the most annoying thing about it is that the sort of progressiveness of having an all-female cast is somewhat undermined by the way they keep on mentioning it. It's a bit like the movies, like, you should love this film just purely for existing. And I think there's there's a certain laziness where they, like... The movie is basically, like, the poster. It's like, it's these women in cool outfits. Isn't this cool? And they didn't bother moving past that point. And it's got this real attitude of like, that's right, a woman can do crime. And there's even a bit where Sandra Bullock basically says that in a way which kind of negates the point. It's like, it diminishes the cool of the movie if they're constantly pointing out how cool it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's also a lot of the plot points, it, it kind of mirrors Ocean's Eleven, but in a very sort of, I don't know, very gendered way. Like in Ocean's Eleven, there's the plot line where George Clooney is trying to win back Julia Roberts. And this one, Sandra Bullock has been fucked over by richard armitage so she's trying to like get revenge on him as well which is like a woman scorned right I was yeah like, uh, why yeah and similarly like the fact that it's like the met gala my sister made this point before seeing the film i think it's like a very good one a woman made this point. <laughs> <laughs> no it, it kind of encapsulates the movie and it's like why is it the Met Gala? It's like, why can't they rob a casino? It's like, it's the lady crime where... Yeah, they've got to they wear... rob a woman's place. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that stuff was kind of disappointing. I mean, it's like, it's not terrible. Like, the cast is so charming and it moves so quickly, but it's just very inconsequential. Yeah. I mean, thank God I'm reviewing this now, mere days after reviewing it. Another couple of hours <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to remember anything that happened. So just a bit of a, a bit disappointing, really. But hey... All female movies are allowed to be bad. So, whatever. Whatever. I mean, like, if it was just the same kind of script, but with, like, a whole new male cast, it'd be even worse in a way. Yeah. Like... Well, I had this argument on Twitter recently with this guy who was saying that it was, like, some attempt to sort of... It's, like, cynically cashing in on the current fashion trend for having, like, all female remakes or reboots or movies with women in them. Um, and uh, he was basically both arguing that it was like cynical to fill it with women because it was just like you know considered cool at the moment, and also that it would be if the movie flops, then it would be blamed on having women in the movie, and therefore it's like extra bad. And it just seemed like the whole that whole attitude seems really wrong to me. Where it's like stop putting so much on this trash film, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just let it be a shitty film, except there's women in it now. 
you know and that's like one improvement over like i don't want to watch oceans 14 or something like i'd rather watch this film yeah absolutely it's like marginally more original because at least they're new characters and you know yeah and also it's like every studio is constantly exploring everything to make money exactly exactly yeah like yeah i mean that's what they do that's the whole point like they're always doing that that's what drives all their decisions so so yeah i mean just wish it'd been better the cast are really good they just wish they had the material to match it widows that's going to be the all-female crime film yeah that's gonna that's gonna kick ass can't wait Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Now. Do you say hereditary or do you say hereditary? How would you say the title of this movie? Hereditary? When I when I bought a ticket for it, I was like, one ticket for hereditary. And then I was like, should I say hereditary? I don't know. Anyway, that's the title of the film we're going to review. Everyone's talking about it. It's had a lot of advanced buzz at festivals and stuff. And it seems to have also had, you know, uh, the whatever, what it, what's the kind of buzz you get after advanced buzz? Um, like arrival buzz? Present time buzz. Present time buzz. Buzz right now. A lot of very... Uh, positive quotes on the poster. It's a this lot of stars quotes. It's this generation. The Exorcist is actually it's like this generations prepare to shit yourself and scream to your horse. Yes, I mean hype. I would say is a fair word to use in <laughs> association in association with the movie. Uh, so it's very excited to see it. I guess this review is now coming in rather late. You've probably decided whether you're going to see the movie or not. You know, but whatever. Going to give it to you anyway. Um, it stars Tony Collette as a woman called Annie. Uh, and uh, she has a weird family. So at the beginning of the film, her mother has just died, and they have her funeral, uh, which is attended by um, her and her husband, Steve, who's played by Gabriel Byrne, uh, their son, Peter, and their 13-year-old daughter, um, Charlie. Peter's played by Alex Wolfe, and Charlie's played by Millie Shapiro. Um, and it's clear right from the beginning there's a lot of tensions in this family. They had a, um, Annie had a very weird relationship with her mother, uh, that was like a bit tense and she had like mental health issues and stuff. And some of that um, seems to have rubbed off on their kids, one of whom had a huge amount of interaction with the grandmother, the other whom had very little interaction. Uh, but they're both kind of slightly withdrawn odd people in various ways. And then various spooky goings on occur. Spooky things happen. Spooky things occur. Um, here is a clip of Annie uh, having a rather tense dinner time conversation with her son, Peter. You okay, mom? What? Is there something on your mind? Is there something on your mind? It just seems like there might be something you want to say. Like what? I mean, why would I want to say something so I could watch you sneer at me? Sneer at you? I don't ever sneer at you. Oh, sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. Okay, so fine, then say what you want to say then. Peter. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine, release me. Just say it. Just fucking say it. Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? Spooky. Ooh, tense. Other people. Family drama. 
Um, so I would say my my expectations were quite high going in, but they've been slightly tempered by listening to the Kermode review earlier, and then he was like a bit down on it. And I thought maybe his hackles had just been raised by the comparisons to The Exorcist, his favorite film. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, how dare you compare it to the brilliant Exorcist? Um, but then I know that like Olivia saw it and uh, also said she wasn't that into it. Um, over yeah, Twitter. there seems to be like the camp seemed to be like everyone raving for it and people who were like, it's not all that. Not all that. Yeah. Um, so and then I was I was kind of surprised in a way to find myself like leaning more towards that second thing. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, maybe I was expecting too much, um, but I think part of it, part of the problem, which is something I agreed with that Kermit said, um, is that it has a really, really barnstorming uh, first act which is just like knocks it out of the park. Um, and then uh, the second two thirds of the film or the second half of the movie uh, becomes sort of increasingly like schlocky and also um, increasing amounts of exposition that kind of feel like unwanted after the, it does, it does such a good job of building up this sense of um, all pervasive dread that's coming from many different directions. And one of the things that I really liked about the beginning of the film is the sense that it's not clear who exactly is villainous and who is just like messed up and is actually a victim of some there's some kind of evil force that is like you know manipulating events and and there's the sense that things is kind of like there's this doom cloud hanging over everybody um and a lot of this family feels real really guilty for things or like like the mother is very concerned that you know she's inflicted some sort of curse on her kids um, and it really keeps you guessing about uh, who is the, who is the protagonist of this film and who's the antagonist, yeah. you know? Um, and it is like, is somebody like pure evil or are they just like have like, you know, issues or whatever? Um, and it's full of uh, kind of little symbological clues, sort of little semiotic games that you can play while watching the movie. And a lot of the fun of the first part of it is seeing all these little things happen and wondering at their significance. You know, someone like there's like signs that reappear in different places and like the particularly the, the little 13 year old girl um doing like bizarre kind of ritualistic stuff and it's like where what does it mean yeah and as i was watching it i was kind of trying to make a catalog of things i was seeing in my head and w- waiting to see how it was all going to pay off later and i think all that stuff was done really effectively and even though like as you hinted in your um intro to the episode when you're talking about it like but it still relies on relatively well-worn horror tropes like the sort of creepy shit drawn in the book and the weird child and you know um the spooky house and, and that kind of thing it marshals all of those elements really really effectively and very confidently it's a directorial debut i think the director ari Aster has made short films before um but it's like a supremely confidently made film and uh and especially in the first half it's got this real command of atmosphere and like a, a real ability to pull off sequences that kind of land really effectively um and it's also uh held together by a set of really excellent performances um a lot of people are talking about how good tony collette is in the movie and she is really excellent in it she does a good scared face i would say which is important for a horror film yeah it's that sort of um the kind of double-edged sort of horror movies in that they provide really good roles for women but also put them through hell yeah (laughs) yeah it's sadomasochistic like the final girl trope is like on one hand They'll kill a bunch of women, but like one survives, so it's that progressive. Yeah, like, although I don't think this movie really. No, no, I just mean it in general, like the horror. You know, it, there's often like one woman. Yeah, they, like, you yeah. know, you have to go full tilt. Like her range is like, you know, she goes through a lot of shit in this she movie. She goes through a lot of shit, and that's, I guess, you know, another thing that's good about horror movies is like give your audience someone to relate to and then put them through hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's always engrossing. 
Um, yeah. Both the kids are really, really good as well. I thought like Alex Wolf and Millie Shapiro, both absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they really sort of nailed the tone of the movie in their performances. And yeah, I, I think we're like we're broadly agreeing on this. Where there's definitely um, the first half is definitely better, and I think part of that is just when the first half of the movie you don't know what is deliberate and what is maybe a flaw of the film so like they're slightly kind of like wandering between protagonists thing i don't like in the first half of the movie it's like unsettling and you just don't know where the film's going but then like in the second half it's like actually does this film know what it's doing or is it like yeah, just yeah. a bit baggy and i think it does feel my like very pithy like review of it which might be a bit re- reductive it's like I think it's like two hours ten, and it feels like it's like a really good hundred minute movie. Yeah, with a lot of air in it, which like, you know, it's very tight in the first act, and then like as it goes on, it's a bit like, uh, he's like, I've got to have a scary five pages, and that becomes a bit. The threat becomes kind of more specific and almost vaguer. It's like just weird shit starts happening, and I think because it's so like, um, it doesn't kind of sustain the dread that well. So you kind of you take a you know um how do i put this in a way which is eloquent um because it doesn't quite sustain the dread it's like you start wondering when the next scare is going to come from in a way which yeah took me out of the movie slightly it's like well that sort of crazy shit has happened so and then a brief bit of dialogue and then another crazy bit of uh stuff happened i think it yeah it kind of has both too many rules and not enough you know (laughs) yeah yeah so like it, in- it starts to introduce all these kinds of like rules to explain the spookiness or just exposition and but then it makes you analyze matters in a different way and uh and then you start thinking about the consistency of events and you sort of come out of it thinking of like so what was really going on like how did that actually um add up in a way that's ultimately not that satisfying because it doesn't really matter like the mechanics of these things are not that important like if it goes to such lengths to give you like gives you too many answers and they're not quite good enough basically yeah yeah I mean, that's very, very true. But also at the same time, like the slightly kind of the veers in genre are kind of, they're not like super successful. They kind of make for this weird tone, which is, which is successful. So I don't know if like. <laughs> well, I was, I, but, uh, yeah, I, there's, there's a, there's a sort of straight family drama element to this of just like, which you kind of got in the, um in the clip of just a very well played a little bit of like um psychological misery yeah yeah and um, just like family unhappiness and people who can't relate to each other and all that kinds of stuff um and that is is just on the level of um just like character interactions and psychology i thought that was really really well done and that's another thing that ends up getting a bit subsumed by the uh machinations of the final act of the movie uh which it gets it becomes almost a procedural kind of uncovering the mystery type thing which is like very different yeah, I think basically in the second act, it's a lot more like, and then this happens rather than, and so that happens. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it feels like a bit of a sort of toy box of like horror stuff it gets kind of thrown in at the end. A bit like it kind of lost his nerve halfway through almost. Yeah. Which is a shame. But I don't know, like, part of the problem is that you're judging it by the how good the first act is. Yeah. And there's always that thing where, like, if a movie, like, nails the final act, it's all, you always think of it better than if it nailed the first. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that is true. Um, I mean, it's part of the same thing that we're, we're sort of talking about, but I think that it doesn't quite successfully balance the uh, that that kind of uh, the magic that it that it introduces in a way that feels like it melds with the other stuff that the movie is doing. And like other films, I mean, you were saying that people have been comparing this to Kill List, right? 
Yeah, and like the Wicker Man. And the Wicker and Man, yeah. And, I, and To Kill This was definitely something that I was thinking of um, during the movie. And I was also thinking of like The Wailing. But these kinds of films where they begin in a prosaic setting and then um, have this kind of sort of doom-laden sense over events and then like weird shit starts happening. You're wondering how much is, you know, real and how much is in people's minds, you know, and what's really going on and stuff. And I think both those movies, both Killist and The Wailing, are films that really do, like, they really land their climaxes and it feels like you you, you are left with that sense of, like, dread and um, uh, this idea that there's this world that's been opened up a bit and you don't understand it and it's just this, like, awe-inspiring terror. Uh, whereas Hereditary is more like, you know, you've, you've read the Wikipedia page by the end. Yeah. You know? Um, but, yeah. But I was still, I would still recommend it. Like I think it's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, I, it's I cut above like, your average like yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. Stock we might or have spent too much like reviewing the hype than the actual film. Yeah, it is like, yeah. I think it is like a really good film. But um, I mean, now the two most acclaimed horror movies of the year, I say, A Quiet Place was better. If you want, if that's any value to our listeners, <laughs> if that's a thing that might be of interest to them, yeah, I think it's it's really worth watching. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was, it made me jump several times. Yeah. And it kind of it kept me interested throughout. And it's just not quite the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a, that's a fair summation. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack. And telephone friends so you know where she's at. Like, that's enough now. Back to film chat. So we're going to check in now with one of our favorite actors, Johnny Depp. A man who can we still call him an actor? <laughs> <laughs> His like point. on-screen career increasingly resembles a breakdown, and he's given an interview to Rolling Stone in which that seems to be exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's a very interesting piece. I mean, a lot of it details his financial situation. Apparently, he's broke somehow, even though he's made millions upon millions. What was it like? The headline of this was something like uh, Johnny Depp's six hundred and fifty million dollar fortune is almost gone. <laughs> yeah, it's, but he, he, he how many fucking bangles can one man buy? <laughs> and he how many scarves do you need? He interviews him in like a sort of mansion he's rented in Highgate for like, you know, like half a million a month or whatever. He's like, I feel <laughs> maybe downsize a little bit. Yeah, you need less Fabergé eggs. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you when I've had enough. Um, I mean, it's quite, I don't know how much sympathy one should feel for Johnny, well, one should feel for Jonathan <laughs> Depp because obviously he was an abusive drunk, but I don't know if it's like a man uh, in pain and he's just shielded himself from this sort of like Michael Jackson style Neverland where he's surrounded by flunkies is the sort of vibe you get from the um, piece where he's just this sort of self-medicating man-child who like doesn't even want to like slap him out of his funk. Um, but it makes for interesting reading. There's a bit where he, uh, <laughs> he apparently paid three million to shoot Hunter S. Thompson's ashes into the sky and he got annoyed because they quoted it saying three million and it was five million. Um He's annoyed about that. Who um, did he pay that money to? The Thompson know. Estate. I, I don't know. I think, was, I think were, were they? Were they was he like, "I'll give you, I'll give you a million to shoot Hunter S. Thompson's ashes into space," and they were like, "Make a five joy." <laughs> <laughs> he also has a solution for um, terrorism. He says, "You get a bunch of fucking planes, big fucking planes. That's pretty shit, and you drop LSD twenty five. You saturate the fucking place. Every single thing will walk out of their cave smiling happy." Jesus. 
Um, that's, that's racist rambling nonsense. And huh? he also um, wants to direct a film called Happier Days. <laughs> it says <laughs> was it's it about based, him? It's based, aged it's based, 20. On, it's based on the book, but. The plot is like, it's about a man who loses his wife, loses everything, and then checks into a senior citizen home, even though he's only in his 40s. So I don't know if that's a bit of, uh, oh, imitating life, imitating art, I don't know. Yeah. And um, he also wants to do a version of Titanic, uh, but film the entire thing in a bathtub. Um, and the actor apparently sighed and says, that would be great, but Hollywood never takes risks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, incredible. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know. Too much money, not enough. Uh, but it's so like it's so know. sort of like. I mean, this is exactly what we thought, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I threw him in Murder on the Orient Express, and I was like, something's up with Johnny. Like he can't act anymore. Like he's completely gone off the rails. And also, like his career is kind of like played man children quite a lot, right? Like he's kind of like a man child in uh, Edward. Uh, and in didn't he play Willy Wonka as a kind of like Willy weird Wonka, child? Mad Hatter, all Mad those Tim Hatter. Burton roles. Are... Yeah, so it kind of make, makes sense in a way that he's just uh, he has the the failings of someone like a child star. He's got kind of like child star's yeah. fate, but he wasn't when a child he, when yeah, he became a star. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like Macaulay Culkin. Like, where's your, what's your like fucking 45? excuse, man? <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting read. I don't know how you lose six hundred fifty million. Like, that's less than bad investments. You've made some bad investments there, Johnny. Too many. Yeah. There's also a bit where like he was told, like, because he's got the he's suing his management team for mishandling his finances, and they're like, you know, one of their arguments against him is that he lives this exuberant, ridiculous lifestyle where he's spending more money than he earns, and they claim he spends thirty thousand dollars a month on wine. And he says, it's much more than that. <laughs> 30,000. Much more than 30,000 a month on wine. I mean, what is the most expensive wine? How much can you drink of it? Well, he's drinking it. He's drinking it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that is like, I mean, it's the sort of number that you don't really want to interrogate. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a large number. He might as well be spending 100,000 or like 1,000. Like, they both seem ridiculous. But like, yeah, I don't know. If you drill into that. thing is, I remember... I was having this conversation with somebody. So he's spending a thousand bucks a day on wine. How many yeah. bottles of wine does he drink a day? That's true. Like, if you're drinking a bottle a day, then you're going to die probably. That's a lot of wine. No, you'd be all right when you a bottle a day. A bottle a day? That's a lot of wine, Red isn't wine's it? Wine's good for you, though, right? I think One it's like a glass. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it, but you have to be spending a grand on every bottle. Apologies to. I was having this conversation with somebody. I can't remember who. All my friends look the same. Um, <laughs> but saying like. I can tell the difference between like a five pound bottle of wine and a twenty pound bottle of wine. Yeah. But like, because there's a big difference there. But twenty quid to like fifty quid is like an even smaller distance, like fifty to a hundred. So then, what's really the difference in quality of wine between like a thousand dollars and like five hundred or like? There's someone is fleecing fleecing debt here, aren't they? He has a refined palate at this point, right? Doesn't he like smoke fifty a day? And the guy's a mess. Maybe he feels like he needs to spend a grand on wine just to taste it. Yeah, I don't understand how he's still. I mean, it's, he's a, maybe he's a victim of the Hollywood machine, right? Because they just keep on employing him so he can sustain this lifestyle. I've just they've, thought they've it, cooked I've... the books, you know. Well, not cooked the books. They've worked out the maths of like he's bankable enough to put in the film. So <laughs> I don't know. What do you think of this hot take, Danny? Hot take, hot take. You know how like due to um, like the you know, patriarchy and white supremacism, um, uh, it's hard for men to fail in Hollywood. You know, like yeah. these guys, like they keep trying to like destroy their own careers and they just fail upwards constantly 
um and maybe this is like the psychological this just causes you know psychological torment for guys like depp you know he can't blow up his own career they keep putting him back in roles and giving him more money yeah and he simply cannot escape the fame trap you know i want to burn out but i can't you can't they, they won't let you because they're still putting you in their movies and stuff and there's all these guys who just become like increasingly messed up due to fame because they can't get rid of it whereas like uh you know the director of american psycho or whatever mary harron or yeah. she was called you know for some reason she didn't like make that many more movies after that but maybe she just became a much like more well-rounded and happy individual or like whoever the woman is who made Ishtar. Do you oh, remember yeah. her name? Elaine May. Elaine May, exactly, yeah. Maybe Elaine May has had a great life because like if she was like a man and she'd like made Ishtar and it had failed, then they would have hired her again, you know, to make like millions more movies and she might have become super rich and then become trapped in, you know, Beverly Hills or whatever and like just died on coke. You know what? The patriarchy is good. You've convinced me. <laughs> that's your point, right? I'm saying the real victim is the successful men. That's yeah. my that's my hot take on yes. this. Apparently, he had a tattoo on his finger which said "Slim" on it, which was a reference to Amber Heard, a nickname he had for her, and he's changed it to "Scum." And who's that a reference to? <laughs> <coughs> is it to... the movie? Is he a big fan of the movie? Yeah, starring Ray Winstone. He's an Alan Clark fan. <laughs> that seems. Don't just get the tattoo removed, surely? Don't like. This reminds me of my ex-wife. I call her Skin. Thank <laughs> God that's pathetic. <laughs> that probably cost them like six million or whatever. They yeah. Just <laughs> How much does... He doesn't know what things cost him. <laughs> How much for this pint of milk? He had like an extra... Eight grand. Oh, that seems like a lot. He had like an extra finger attached to his hand just so it could say bitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're just fleecing him. Poor man. Poor man. Oh, what a poor man. Well, at least he's generating a lot of revenues for the tattoo and wine industries. <laughs> <laughs> he's a job creator, you know, trickled on economics. Exactly. He's, a wealth, he's a wealth creator. Yeah, Oddbins goes under without, <laughs> <laughs> without his 1,000 a day wine habit. That's putting someone's kid through college, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad this piece is service. Didn't he push it himself? Wasn't he like, I want to tell you about yeah. how I have no money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be honest. Yeah, they should make a funny people too. Uh, with but Adam Sandler's become like Johnny Depp now. <laughs> yeah, it just really like ratchet up, kind of like it's less funny. <laughs> <sort of laughs> yeah, <laughs> less funny people. Yeah. Um, it's my Johnny Depp impression. It's very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week. We'll be discussing some more movies. I don't know what's out, but we're going to see them. We're going to review them. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But it's yeah, the, it's the World Cup season, right? They don't put anything out apart from like Ocean's Eight because ladies don't watch football. It's Here's the movie I'm going to see: England versus <laughs> a team of another team. I don't know. <laughs> How would I know? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Actually, don't, I genuinely don't know who else is in their group. They beat Tunisia. Belgium. Belgium. <laughs> Belgium. I want to say Belgium. Yeah, that's my movie for the week: England v Belgium. Um, but not even true. But yeah, we'll find we'll, we'll find some films out there, uh, and we'll and we'll watch these, and we're just gonna talk about them on the podcast. Okay. Until then. Goodbye. So long. Goodbye. Back to that, this, this whole Brexit thing, when, when, when you know, you're judging them on, on, on Brexit, they don't know nothing about it. Who knows about Brexit? Yeah, of course. I, I, no one's got to include what Brexit is, yeah? You watch Question Time, it's comedy. Were you no clearer when Jeremy Corbyn... No, I got the clue. No one knows what it is. It's like this mad riddle that no one knows... 
what it is, right? So what's happened to that twat David Cameron oh. who called it off? Let's be fair. Oh. I think what, you're referring no, to no, a former no, prime no. Yeah, but why the, how comes he can scuttle off? He called all this off. Yeah. Yeah. He oh, has no regrets. Where, where is he? He's in Europe, in Nice, with his trotters up. Yeah. Where is the geezer? I think he should be held accountable. He should be held you know accountable. It's, it's a valid point. A lot of people do feel Swat. that that all. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>